Big Swinging Stocks acknowledges the traditional custodians of Australia's lands, skies and waterways and pays respects to elders past, present and emerging. This podcast is brought to you by SelfWealth and operates under AFSL number 421789 as general advice only. Because we can't take into account your personal objectives or financial situation, you should seek independent professional financial advice before making any investment decision. For more information and our financial disclosure statement, check the show notes. I like the personal questions. They were managing about $3 trillion. Why a crypto ETF? I don't know if uh, I should be saying this. Is Bitcoin the new gold? I don't think it is. It may not make sense for a lot of investors to do so. Is that it? Is it the regulation? So it's, it's a minor roadblock. We will be launching. Love to talk a little bit more about the risks. What is a long-term megatrend? Indexing has been around for 140 years. Any investor in any fund is lazy. That's actually a really good point. So obviously many investment platforms, including SelfWealth, are onboarding direct crypto purchasing. It's been quite a week in finance this past couple of weeks. Two billionaires tried to buy billion-dollar companies. Most of the top-tier tech companies had pretty flat or disappointing revenue figures due to supply chain issues and advertising revenue falling. But in and amongst the traditional finance news was the announcement that crypto was getting an ETF. Joining me today is a very special guest to talk all about that, Kanish Chug of ETF Securities. Kanish is head of distribution, meaning sales, marketing strategy, and as he says himself, all external facing things for ETF Securities retail, institutional and intermediary clients. Before ETF Securities, Kanish worked at Fidelity, BlackRock and AFR. Well, that's a bit impressive, sir. Welcome to Big Swinging Stocks. Alex, thanks for having me. Thank you for joining us. Well, I'm just going to get right into it. I like the personal questions. So tell me, how'd you start in finance and how'd you end up at ETF Securities? Yeah, sure. So um, it, it was an interesting sort of journey from my end in terms of getting into asset management. Um, when I finished university, it was sort of in the midst of the GFC and obviously a lot of investment banks and you know the internships and things like that, they were starting, they were getting cut. So it was hard to just get that entry level role and I ended up in financial media. So that was you know within a debt capital markets newswire service, um, which is no longer around at the moment, um, but also then at the AFR and then through sort of fate ended up at BlackRock. And obviously, a lot of people know BlackRock as being Mm -hmm. the largest asset manager in the world. I think at the time when I was there, they were managing about three trillion US dollars. I think now it's probably tripled in size. Mm. Um, If not more, I I don't, I don't haven't kept a tab on it, but that sort of was my first foray into asset management. And through that journey, um, about seven years um, ago, I ended up joining a, a ANZ ETFS. And so ETF securities for a lot of people that aren't aware, we're actually the second oldest ETF provider in Australia. So our founder, Graham Tuckwell, he launched the world's first physical gold product, which is quite relevant for the conversation given we're talking about mm. a new asset class. He was innovative in terms of bringing the commodity, the precious metals space into an ETF form um, and launched the world's first here in Australia, G-O-L-D. So it's still trading. Um, and that's the largest gold ETF in the market at the moment, I think. You know, when I looked at it in terms of tonnage, we actually hold about 27 tons, 28 tons of actual physical gold with oh our gosh. custodian, JP Morgan, in a vault in London. So it's about a semi-trailer's worth of gold. Probably more than some countries. Yeah. Well, actually, I've just for sometimes when, when, you know, I'm you know, a bit curious, I look at what the central banks are holding around the world. And yeah, it is, it is more than some <laughs> countries. It is less than, less than Australia, but it is more than some countries. I think mm. at the height when ETF Securities was a global player, I think they were holding more than the Bank of England at one point. 
um, wow. in terms of physical gold. Um, but through that journey, obviously, I, I joined the ANZ ETFS team. So, ETF Securities did a joint venture with ANZ in 2015. Um, and a few years later, that joint venture was demerged and ETF Securities acquired 100% ownership of that venture. So, we are now the own, one of the only independent Australian players in the ETF space here, here in the market. And we have over close to five billion. Um, hopefully, we'll, with the with the Bitcoin and the Ethereum ETFs that we're launching, we'll have over twenty products as well in our range. And look, at the end of the day, from where we sit, we're just wanting to to bring out really innovative solutions. You know, things that are, you know, being first to market is is really important to us as well. Mm. And that brings us really, thank you, very nicely and neatly to why a crypto ETF and what's different about it. I think there's there is already varying different cryptocurrency products in the market, but what's different about the ETF securities one? So, I think the key difference from what we understand in terms of the peers in the market at the moment that are trying to launch crypto ETF. So, to take a step back, Australia doesn't have a pure crypto ETF in the market at the moment. Mm. You know, we have exposures that offer crypto equity exposure. So, that's exposure to Bitcoin miners and, you know, companies like Coinbase, etc. And, you know, we've mm. got one of those funds as well. We've got a, a fintech and blockchain ETF, FTech. Um, and so, we launched that last year. But there's no pure way from an investor perspective to get access to 100% Bitcoin or 100% Ethereum in the Australian market. Now, part of that reason has been the regulatory frameworks and the the hurdles that we've had to overcome. You know, we've been working on this for nearly five, six years via our chairman. You know, he was looking at Bitcoin when its price was around 200 US dollars. And so, when you look at it now, where wow. it's sort of sitting at that 40,000 US dollars, that's that's been a long journey. He was looking at it mm. from a, an overseas perspective. He was looking at it from an Australian perspective. And it's, it's been quite a long time just to get to this point. And so, we are very close. And I think the key difference from what I understand when looking at some of the peers in the market, this is not a fund that's going to buy an offshore ETF. We are going to be looking at holding the actual Bitcoin or the Ethereum. So, we're launching two funds and that's EBTC. So, for Bitcoin and EETH for the Ethereum. And we'll be actually holding, you know, 100% Bitcoin, 100% Ethereum. You know, the best way for me to explain it, if anyone knows our gold fund, that's 100% backed by physical gold. The gold in, in that fund is a gold and a metal entitlement. So, the investors actually have an entitlement on the gold. It's essentially as, as close as they can get to holding gold without mm. having to go out to a, and buy the gold themselves. So, with Bitcoin and Ethereum, it's the same process. You know, we will hold the Bitcoin and Ethereum in a coin entitlement. So, the investors essentially have the entitlement on that metal, on that, sorry, on that crypto. And so, if the direct asset, underlying asset, is in fact Ethereum and Bitcoin, is that being held by a custodian? Yes. So, it, this will be held by a custodian and, and it's in, and that's another key point. You know, we understand that crypto is not new. You know, it's been around for nearly 10 years now. And so, there are mm. crypto investors. You know, we you know, we are aware of that. And the crypto space, you know, it's it's really diverse. And you have a lot of people that have gone out and bought physical crypto, um, you know, whether it's through, at the moment, it's through unregulated exchanges. And that, that's mm. really important. Here in Australia, there's no regulated way for an investor on exchange to buy a Bitcoin or Ethereum exposure. And so, from our perspective, we wanted to build institutional grade structure and framework. So, we were one of the last, it's funny, we were the last provider, I think, or one of the last providers to actually announce that we're in the race to launch crypto. There mm -hmm. were a few others that 
came out really early and said, look, we're going to be the first. Yeah. We're going to try and do this. We were one of the last. We only announced this in November 2021. But we're hoping to be the first to actually launch it because we wanted to wait till we understood how were we going to structure it. Is it going to mm. be, you know, the quality of the fund has to be standing up, especially in a new asset class. You know, so we understand that, you know, we've had to overcome a lot of delays and hurdles. And even now, you know, we've hit a potential slight delay, which is we were hoping to launch late April. You know, we're now sort of early first week May and we still haven't launched yet. So it's, it's a minor roadblock. We will be launching, but mm. it's one of those things that, you know, we the Bitcoin and the Ethereum, it's 100% backed, the, these funds, by the underlying crypto. But I mean, launching an institutional grade fund, I suppose I, I'd love to talk a little bit more about the risks because you have a regulated product and in Australia, ETFs are a regulated financial product, but the underlying asset that you're allowing customers to purchase is almost by design, in fact, by design, an unregulated decentralized product. And that must have been a risk that you guys had to uh, resolve in attempting to get this listed. Can you talk a little bit more about that and how you got it to the stage where it is almost ready to list? Yeah, I, I think it's, a, it's an important um, factor to remember that this is a new asset class for for the Australian market. It's a, well, it's a new asset mm-hmm. class in general in terms of how young it is. You know, cryptocurrencies in theory from the way in which we now know them have mm-hmm. only been around for Bitcoin anyway since 2013. So less than 10 years. And in that sense, stakeholders that we normally would work with when launching an equity fund, an equity ETF, or say another commodity ETF, they're still, you know, we have to work with them. You know, we may not be working with the same Mm. stakeholders and service providers that we normally would because some are still not comfortable to work with crypto or haven't put together a framework. From the regulator side, they're still having to work through and they did have to go through a long process, consultations, public consultations, etc., to get their Mm. heads around how they were going to deal with crypto. And that's where we're at now. And so we've obviously been working on mm-hmm. trying to launch a crypto ETF for over five years. Um, it's one of the reasons actually we partnered up with 21 shares. And that's, you know, a, a really important step for us was at ETF Securities, we've never launched a cryptocurrency ETF. And so we're not going to profess that we are the experts around cryptocurrency. But how do we become the experts at this? And we have launched all are launching these funds with that partner, 21 shares, who are the leader in cryptocurrency ETFs around the world. So they're based, they're a Swiss based cryptocurrency fund manager. They have, it was interesting. I was talking to them last week and every time I speak to them, they're launching a new ETF on a new cryptocurrency. Um, oh, wow. they were launching their 31st cryptocurrency exposure last Thursday. And they've got these funds that are listed in many exchanges. So I think it was over 130 individual listings on cryptocurrency ETFs. They've got mm. um, exposures on Bitcoin, on Ethereum, on Cardano, on Ripple, et cetera, et cetera. And then the list goes on. And so for us, they are the experts. They, you know, understand how to structure these funds. And so we've worked with them very closely around the launch of our Bitcoin and Ethereum products. Um, and I think the other key point there was we did not come early to the market in terms of announcing our entry into the race for crypto. Whilst we've been working on these types of funds for over five years, we came very late. You know, in November 2021, we were, I think, one of the last providers to say, look, we're going to be trying to launch these funds and we're hoping to be the first. So for us, it was really important to get the structure right, get the quality right, understand how were we going to actually provide the best in breed 
cryptocurrency exposures. So when I look at peer competitor products at the moment from what has come out publicly um, in the media and, you know, providers have talked about some of their funds already. We are not buying an underlying ETF that's listed offshore, whether it's in Canada or somewhere else. We are actually going to be holding mm. underlying Bitcoin and Ethereum. It's going to be 100% backed and it's going to be institutional grade custody. So it's going to be insured. You know, we're working with Coinbase on this and the crypto top. That's actually a really good point. So obviously many investment platforms, including SelfWealth, are onboarding direct crypto purchasing capability, ComBank uh-huh. as well. So I suppose yes. the central question is, what's the benefit of a consumer purchasing an ETF that is backed by physical cryptocurrency and paying the management fee over investing in the product directly? Is that it? Is it the regulation or the wrapper of regulation, I suppose? So for some people that provides a, an added layer of comfort. Um, we are looking to, to launch this fund with a relatively sort of a management fee, but in terms of accessing the crypto, it's going to be very easy in the same way they would buy and sell a share. They'll be using the same process in terms of this ETF. I think the other thing there is it is being backed by the underlying crypto. It can also be redeemed for the crypto as well. So there is a process for investors. It's like our gold fund. Investors can actually redeem for the gold or our silver fund. They can redeem for the underlying physical silver. No, you know, it, 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 there's an administrative process to it. There's a cost to it as well. So it may make, it may not make sense for a lot of investors to do so, but we have that ability and the facility within the fund to allow for investors to do that. And I think the other key thing there is at the moment, a crypto investor can invest in Bitcoin, can invest in Ethereum. They can do that. And you've t- we've talked about, you know, there are a number of different exchange, um, crypto exchanges they can do that via, but it's not in that regulated fashion. It's not as easy to do. You know, do they have to hold a key? What happens if they lose that key? You know, what's the risk of the exchange getting hacked? All these things that we've had to go down and think about, you know, the crypto that we will hold in our funds will be held in cold storage, which means we're trying to limit and de-risk the the fund, yeah, de-risk the exposure and, yeah, from that side. I'm really curious because while ETF securities and other ETF providers are coming out with ETF products and you guys may be the first, you may not be, we'll see who gets to the plate first, but do you see the introduction of central bank digital currencies? We've seen RBA is looking into it. ANZ has announced one for large institutional and just large customers. Do you see that as a risk to the future of cryptocurrency or a testament to the technology is here to stay? I think the technology is here to stay. So uh, I think the concept of cryptocurrencies and a digital asset the blockchain technology really is underpinning all of this and that decentralization of it, the open architecture. You know, that is something there that I think we're, we're heading into a new form now. Is that going to replace our physical traditional currencies? You know, the fiat currencies that we know, you know, the US dollar, the Aussie dollar, et cetera. I don't know. And I don't think so. Will it replace gold? You know, we've, it's funny because as a provider of the, you know, the biggest gold fund in the country, um, we have a lot of investors that we speak to around, is Bitcoin the new gold? Hedge against inflation, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I don't think it is. Um, and it, it comes to this point around, one, as an ETF provider, our job is to provide innovative and intelligent solutions for investors. And we are looking to do that. Mm. We want to provide solutions for investors 
and for all types of investors. So we know that some of our investors in some of our funds may not want to invest in cryptocurrencies, but we also have investors that are investing in our ACDC ETF, which is battery tech and, and lithium, but don't want to invest in gold. You know, so we want to have a diverse range of funds. And that's what we're doing here with crypto is we're wanting to launch these assets and these, these products to give a solution for investors that want to trade in a regulated form. Um, and also for a lot of investment professionals, I think that's an interesting thing is that we have a lot of clients in that private wealth advice space. So um, the financial planner space. Now, they may not be comfortable to go down to the exchange or they may not be able to. Now, we're launching these funds. They'll be rated by independent research houses for investment professionals. You know, so again, all that due diligence will be conducted so that investment professionals for their clients can access crypto should they wish. Now, where this sits in a portfolio and we're talking about, you know, the future of cryptocurrencies, you know, from where I sit on a personal level and, you know, Gold is a defensive alternative. You know, it's a hedge to inflation. It's a hedge to equity volatility. It's an interest rate, interest rate hedge. And we've seen its characteristics and its behavior currently, and it's performed very well relative to the market. Over a very long time. Has a bit of a proven history of doing that. Yes, over thousands of years. But crypto, it's a new asset mm. and it's a growth alternative. It's very volatile. And, you know, we've, we can, it can have swings of, you know, 10, 15, 20% on some days. And even intraday, if you have sort of Elon yeah. Musk start to tweet about it. Um, <laughs> yeah. so I think that's, that's a really important thing to understand. It's, it is from an ETF side, we're launching this because we want to provide a solution for investors. Mm. As an investment, it is not for everyone. It will be for some investors, but at least mm. they know that if they wanted to access it, there is a way that they can do that. Yeah. And I suppose the other part of it is considering the extent to which it makes up your portfolio as well. I think you guys refer to yes. it as a satellite. And I think that's helpful to investors who are trying to dip their toe into the space to recognize that it is so volatile that you should really strongly consider how what your risk appetite is and how much percent of your portfolio it should make up, if any. You know, is it even right? Does it sit in your appetite at all? Yep, exactly right. You guys obviously talked a lot about trying to bring products that are innovative and intelligent and that meet consumers' needs. I'm really curious about the rise of thematics in this space. I feel like index funds um, were sort of passe and we're all – loving the marketing certainly is obsessed with thematics and they they seem to have been really popular you spoke about acdc i'll be honest i own acdc uh i it's really interesting to see the stats at self wealth that thematics are coming up as a significant part of people's portfolios certainly index funds are still reigning supreme but i'm really curious how do you guys decide what products to create? Yeah, it's interesting, but I'll, I might ask you a question. Do you see thematic ETFs as index funds? Well, they track an index of some sort, don't they? Yeah. But I think when I say index funds, I mean your passive whole of market, you know, Australia, ASX 200 or 300 tracking index funds yeah. as opposed to ETF, thematic ETFs, which I... I see, and again, I'm no expert, tracking a very sort of niche or like a very specific slice of the pie. Yes. So, t targeting a, a specific strategy. And so, I, th I think yeah. it's interesting. Um, I did some 
research into the history of indexing last year. It was, you know, for me, mm. it was ex- interesting. To some, it may not be, but, um, you know, indexing has been around for 140 years. And you're right to say that the first index funds were to try and try and indexing, by the way, when it was first created was to provide a benchmark for people to, reference against in terms of their portfolio so how 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 have i performed in Mm. the 1950s through um uh sort of vanguard they launched the world's first index funds and they were all market trackers and then you get to this point with etfs it's starting to democratize the concept of investing and so you get to this point where the traditional market indexes are being revolutionized and investors are looking for different strategies. You've seen active managers underperform their benchmarks and not perform mm. as well, even against broad markets. So then, and the cost of active managers and active funds and, you know, has been exponential relative to ETF. So investors are saying, well, how do I access particular strategies at a lower cost? What do I do? And that's where you've gone into this concept of it's not active. It's not passive because all of these types of strategies are still passive in the sense that they track an index. And what I mean by that is they're transparent. The rules are there. The framework is there. People can access, you know, for anyone that wants to see the framework and the rules around any of our thematic ETFs, they can do so. We'll we'll show them everything. You can find the underlying index that it tracks is what you're saying. There's no black box. The whole portfolio is actually publicly available every day. Um, So if someone wanted to, they could actually replicate the portfolio themselves. Now, what we've tried to do is, in a very low-cost way, take that work away from them and say, we, you don't need to do that. We'll do it for you just by one ETF, one share, um, essentially one code, one product. We'll take care of it, provide you exposure, say, ACDC over 30 stocks in that theme. And the way in which we look at it in terms of launching thematic ETFs or different strategy ETFs um, is that we want to see them for the long term. The last thing we want to do is put a lot of effort, time, money, and it, 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 there is a lot of cost involved to launch a fund to then have to close it down after two years because it's not representative of a long-term megatrend. And so what is a long-term megatrend? A long-term megatrend is something that is structurally and innovating the world. So whether that is battery technology, whether that is fintech and blockchain, whether that is robotics and automation, you know, what there's many that you can that you can look at. But it also if a megatrend is long term, how does it how how do you define it as being long term? And I look at it as being it's supported by governments. And if it's supported by governments, meaning it's going to have financial support. Once governments support something with policy, with investment, you'll then see corporate support. And so if we take battery technology as an example, there were some innovative tech companies about 20 years ago, Tesla being one of them, that looked at batteries. Um, even to be honest, the first lithium battery was from sort of Sony, um, back in the, back in the eighties. So it's been around for a while, but how have we gotten to this stage? And that's been through government support. Now, Australia, and I don't know if uh, I should be saying this, but you know, Australia's from a political perspective has not been the leader in terms of supporting battery, battery technology relative to other countries around the world. Other countries, yeah. Exactly. And so what we've seen though is as governments have supported battery technology, we've seen corporates start to come on board, you know, car companies phasing out um, combustion engine vehicles by 2025, 2030. And, you know, that's where we're seeing this big shift. And then you start to see the markets result and then you start to see investors look at it as well. And so that's, that's a, that's a fairly first step. Yes, that's how you guys track it is you start to see where are the emerging 
um, startups. Yes. Where is their government support, support for those exactly. startups? And then that's sort of when you guys get involved before, hopefully before the investors, you know, drown the... Yeah, with ACDC, we launched that in 2017. Um, you know, so five years ago mm-hmm. before a lot of people wanting to, were wanting to invest in, in battery technology or lithium. And now. And there's a lot of Tesla skeptics as well in 2017. A lot of Tesla skeptics. Yeah. I remember there was a lot of it, a lot yeah. of investment professional clients of ours where Tesla is one of the 30 stocks that were in, was in that portfolio alongside some of the other, um, manufacturers and battery pro- producers. They were asking, why is Tesla in there? We don't want access to Tesla and exposure. Now it's like, why isn't Tesla? Tesla should be more, you know. <laughs> it's like, okay, guys. The question around thematics is there are people who argue that they're kind of uh, a way to gain exposure if you don't want to understand or don't want to dig into the underlying mechanics of companies yep. in those indexes mm-hmm. that the thematics track. Um, and I have seen people call it, you know, lazy and you should be doing your due diligence. But personally, well, I disagree, but I think, um, cause I do think people should understand what they're buying, even the underlying companies in an ETF, I think you should look into it. But I do think, you know, to your point back in 2017, when you guys were launching this people, a lot of people were skeptics about Tesla. A lot of people were very bullish about Tesla as well, but the benefit of these uh, product sometimes is you do get the benefit of professionals who do this for a living and can structure these products for you so that, you know, I don't know anything about battery technology, but there are products that can give you, again, subject to your risk appetite, exposure to it if you want, if that's something you're interested in. Yeah. And it's, it's important also that we, so I, I guess on, on two points there. When you, any investor that invests in any product should do their due diligence because taking the name mm. of a fund, taking the stock code of a fund is not enough to, or taking even when you look at active managers, just following one particular individual, that is not the right approach. They should understand what is that fund's strategy? How are they looking at, um, providing the underlying exposure? What's the risks? What are the companies that they're getting exposure to? And, you know, f- for any investor out there at the moment, if they have any questions on any of our funds, go on our website, give us a call. We'll happily talk through what our funds obviously at in the, you know, under general advice and in a factual way, but we can talk through and we can show everything. And that's, you know, a key point there. You do list the companies that I think most fund providers list the companies that are at least the top holdings, although you guys list. We'll list the entire portfolio. Yes. Yeah. So, you know, our robo ETF, there's over 90 stocks. All 90 stocks are in there with the exact weight on that day of what your exposure is. And I think that's the other point there is if I looked at the thematic of robotics, automation and artificial intelligence. Now, you've got a company in there that's John Deere, a tractor company. Now, to a lot of people, they will go, mm-hmm. why would I get exposed to a tractor company? Well, John Deere is active in acquiring autonomous vehicle software companies. And because a lot of their tractors use autonomous um, driving, autonomous software, artificial intelligence. So they're actually one of the leaders in the agri space, but in AI and auto- auto- automation. Um, or a company like Ocado. Ocado has a tie up here in Australia with Coles, but they provide the logistics technology for fulfillment of supermarket and groceries. Now they're a UK based company. These are just two of many. And if, you know, if I, uh, it, one thing is if an investor wants to try and understand 
you know, the benefits of looking to an ETF provider, sometimes have a look at the underlying portfolio. If you can see a lot of companies in there that you're actually not aware of and you're trying to understand, well, how, and then you actually do some research into them and you actually see, well, there's a reason why they're giving, mm. the, the, the ETF is investing in said stock because it provides exposure to that thematic. That's the key part there is we try to take that work out away from you. So you, when people say it's lazy, well, then any investor in any fund is lazy. Um, you know, it's, that's, that, it, that, 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 that's a lot of people around the world. Basically, that's pretty much everyone w- w- is maybe considered lazy. Mm. Um, you know, it's a lot of work and especially those non-lazy investors. Are they looking outside of Australia? So if I looked at and, and other markets and are they outperforming, you know, and the single stock risk. So you talked about Tesla. Tesla was a 4% weight in ACDC in 2017 and has pretty much maintained that weight at every rebalance because it's equally weighted that strategy. So every stock gets an equal share of voice in terms mm. of contribution to performance. Now, some investors may, if had Tesla not performed, would that have de- detrimentally impacted the fund? No, it wouldn't have because not in the same way as say one investor buying their entire holding or putting a large investment into Tesla. It is one part of many Exposure. So the whole idea of diversification, you know, we talk about diversification with other funds, but within a single ETF form, it is very diversified, especially on the equity side. You know, we're trying to diversify away the risk of single stocks. Hmm. And the law of averages, i.e. one stock pulling down, the rest won't impact your portfolio if it's yes, exactly right. diversified in its exposure. Well, Kanish, thank you so much for joining us on Big Swinging Stocks. And I don't want to put you on the spot and obviously regulators and the complexity of bringing equities to markets may make this question difficult to answer. But when are you expecting to launch your crypto ETF? Look, I won't be able to give it a firm date. Um, so obviously, we're recording this sort of first week, May. We're mm-hmm. hoping to to launch very soon. Um, as I mentioned, with crypto it's a new asset class. It's a new frontier. And with any type of innovation, I think you're going to hit roadblocks. But it's the fact that we're going to overcome those roadblocks and we're hoping to, to be the first in Australia to launch a, a physical Bitcoin or a digital Bitcoin, as I should say, and a digitally backed Ethereum ETF. Um, so I guess for any investor out there that's wanting to keep mm-hmm. an eye on what's um, happening and developments and when we're launching, uh, jump on our website at etfsecurities.com.au. We actually have a weekly crypto monitor that we send out every week and that's the best way for anyone so they can subscribe by the the subscribe link there awesome thank you so much for joining us it was a pleasure talking to you and we'll speak soon i'm sure excellent thank you for having me